1: Well, this morning, I want to bring a word uh, to you. We were praying here on Friday night, and uh, God was just moving so powerfully. And there's something about the prayer times when we come together like this that God uses, and he makes it very, very powerful right now. I don't think you, if you haven't really prayed before, understood the power of prayer, it moves angels and demons. That's probably the best way to try and describe it. Yeah, I'm on. Give a hand to the Lord this morning because some of you are struggling in your journey and you've been trying to get breakthrough. And you may be fine, but your family is not fine. This morning, David Roque was saying that we've got Alpha coming up and we are believing God this year for a harvest of souls. Uh, Alpha is an opportunity for you to not have to do the hard work but that you invite your friends along for a great dinner, a great meal. And there's videos that are done really, really professionally. And we don't shove Jesus down people's throat at Alpha. It's very, very interesting how it works. It's not like that. It's not foundations class. Foundations class, for those of you that have joined me, you know what it's like. We're getting right into the Word of God. We're ripping it up. We're asking questions. We're trying to get them answered through the Word. Alpha is a bit like that, but there's no answers coming from us. What happens is they just sit there, and they're talking, and then through the talking, and there's a bit of guided uh, guided questions, very loaded questions, really, I guess is a way to describe it. It always brings them to this point where they begin to understand the presence of God is very real, and that their need for a Savior is very, very real indeed. And so you don't have to do the hard work. The hard work comes between now and next term, term two. So we've got about uh, six weeks, I believe, six weeks before we begin, to begin talking to your friends and say, hey, have you ever done Alpha before? Or you might say, hey, I, you know I'm a Christian, don't you? And I wanted to give you an opportunity to find just a little bit more to ask some questions, because you're probably thinking questions like, why would a good God allow people to suffer? Right? Why would a loving God do? Why would a loving God send people to hell? You might be asking those questions. We're gonna answer them at Alpha. And you're gonna find there's a whole bunch of other people who are asking the same questions and probably the same critics. And so you'll be in good company, but you get to share with one another. And there's no, you know, again, we're not gonna manipulate it, you're just gonna have an amazing amount of fun sitting around a meal and talking about something that your friends, your brother, your mother, your sister, your father have been talking about for years. And seems like so far from you. So this is the time. Begin praying about it. Before you invite, can I encourage you to pray about it? In fact, we're going to pray right now for a Harvest of Souls in Live City Church. And so right where you are, I know you're seated, but can you pray actively with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we declare the love of the Father for our city for our families, and for our nation. And Lord God, we stand in the gap right now as we intercede for our family members, our beloved. Lord, even our workmates who we care so much about that are going to a Christless eternity. And Father God, we care too much for them to say nothing. And Lord, I pray that this year, Lord, we are praying that this year, 2021, will be a year of harvesting of souls, oh God, where people come and they come to your throne. Lord, embracing you, saying, I can't believe I've not heard about this before. So, Father, we pray that your good hand would be upon this. We ask for the Holy Spirit to move powerfully in our lives. Lord, we bind the spirit of this age that would blind the minds of unbelievers from seeing the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we ask, Lord God, as every person here at Live City Church begins to invite, Lord, we pray for an open heaven where they themselves would be shocked when their family member, when their friend, when their workmate says, yes. I'll go. So Lord, we bless that in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. By the way, if you're wondering why you say amen, it's actually Hebrew word, which means I agree. That's, that's pretty much it, or let it be done. Jesus said, if two of you can agree on anything as touching these things, It will be done for you by my Father in heaven. In another passage, he says, whatever you ask for in my name, it will be done for you. And so the amen is the agreement with saying, yes, we agree. Do you agree? Amen. Okay, I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Jonah. There's a a little bit of page turning. It's not a lot of reading, but they're from different passages. So some of you watch out. There might be some dust coming off those Bibles. Jonah chapter 1. Reading from verse one, just a very short passage this morning, but we're going to add a little bit to that. We're going to build this word precept upon precept. Jonah and chapter one. Isn't it great to be able to use devices for the kingdom? I was told by other people, oh, you know, when you preach, don't don't bring your iPad with you. You just use your Bible. But this is what we do. We carry this stuff around with us. Why don't we use it? And we begin to know. Like when you start using it in church, you're going to start using it during the week. You're going to flip it out there. I know there's a verse that says something about something here. I'm just going to look it up. Google can help you, by the way. So you're looking up Jonah chapter 1. Let's read together from verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Verse 3, but Jonah ran away from the Lord, and headed for Tarshish. How many Jonahs are out there right now this morning? (laughs) If you're just watching a live stream, I want you to tap it in there. Yeah, that's me. You pegged me. You nailed me. I was a Jonah. Can I tell you a little bit about my story? I grew up as a pastor's son. And his dad before him was a pastor. In fact, even my mother, her father was a rabbi. So it was always in the family to be in the ministry. But I fought it my entire life. As a little kid, I remember once I said, what do you want to be when you grow up? I said, I want to be like my dad, a pastor, so that I can drive a car, because pastors have cars. In Indonesia, with this poverty-stricken area, you know, back in that day, there weren't a lot of many cars in our area in Maidan. And so to own a car, you had to be pretty rich. Back in the day, you know, you had families that drive a motorbike and that have like mom and dad. And then there'd be the two kids on either side and there'd be a baby in the front. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And they'd be carrying. That was, that was a general transport everywhere. If you couldn't afford a motorbike, can I see the indos? You know what I'm talking about, don't you? You've seen this, haven't you? Are you from Jakarta? You're a bit snotty. Oh, we didn't get that in Jakarta. But in Medan, that's what we saw. And so there were bicycles. So if you didn't have a motorbike, it was bicycles. That's right. It was mom and dad on the spokes and kids in between them. And we did what we could, right, to do these things. But I remember I wanted a car because dad had a car. So to, be, to, to get the car, I had to be a pastor. That's the only reason I wanted to be a pastor. But as I grew up, I I, I decided, no, I don't want to do this. I I saw some pastors come and go, and they had done the wrong thing by the Lord, the wrong thing by the people. I saw broken lives because of it, and I thought, I never want to do that. I will never be a pastor. And I remember thinking to myself, pastors have no time for their family. My dad never had time for us. We were sent to live in Australia while they were in Indonesia. And later on, I went to boarding school. And again, long gaps of time, never seeing my family. And so I thought to myself, okay, being a pastor means no time for family. It means having no money because my parents lived by faith. There wasn't that regular income coming in. They had to constantly believe God. So I thought to myself, there's no way I'm going to be in ministry. But isn't it amazing what the Lord will do? In fact, uh, it was like this. I was like a Jonah, and, and I sat down with Dad. What do you want to do? I said, well, I don't want to be in the ministry. What should we do? I did the opposite thing. I'll go into business and make money. So I went to the United States to study business, and I went that, I went there. I, I think some of you know my story. Fell away from the Lord, became an atheist. And then towards the end of that year, because I was still seeking, and I said, Lord, if you, you know, send people my way, I'll talk to them. If you have a book for me to read, I'll do it. God brought me back. But I remember coming back to Australia, but that's the thing. I, I, when I came back to the Lord, and just before I came back to Australia, I'd made this promise to Him. I could no longer deny that there's a God. I couldn't do it anymore, and I couldn't deny that the Bible is the Word of God, because if you haven't wrestled with those things in your life, you will never have God as your Lord. Jesus will never be your Lord if you haven't wrestled with these things. But once you've wrestled with it, and you've finally given up, and you say, Jesus, you're not just my Savior. You're not just there to save me. You are my Lord. That means that every decision you make now has to come under the submission of Jesus, It means that every major milestone in your life, every big uh, fork in the road, you have to give it to the Lord in prayer. You have to ask him for his input. And it's it's a, a hard thing to do when Jesus does not have lordship over your life. But I said to him, whatever you want, you get it, Lord. I'm completely and I'm totally sold out to you. When I was leading up to that point and going to uni and becoming an atheist, I did not have a regular reading plan except that which my parents or my aunties forced us to do or the school forced us to do. But when I came to uni, I stopped doing it entirely. I had no relationship with the Lord. But when I came back to the Lord, this was it. This is the deciding factor. I thought, God, whatever you want, you get. And just like Jonah, I'm thinking to myself, I'm running away. I don't want to do anything like that. I know the kind of life it leads to. I don't want to be a pastor. But when God begins doing a work in your heart, when he has a total lordship, things begin to change in your life. Things that you did not want to change, God will change. You'll want to do it. This is is the thing. Someone tried to explain it to me. When God has got your number, when you are completely sold out for Him, the things that you said, I'll never do that, it's amazing how God will get you to do those very things. You'll find yourself in that place, and I'm one of those people giving testimony that. I'm standing in this place as a pastor before you. This week I was watching a movie called All Saints on Netflix. And I like the story because I could relate to it. It was a story of a, of a newly appointed pastor and his family. And he had a business background. And the bishop had come to him saying, okay, your job is this. You're going to go into that church. You're going to gut it. You're going to sell everything. You're going to sell that church off. So your job is to get the people ready to move on because we're going to shut this down. And he began to do his job, and the remaining members, about nine of them, uh, were very clear in showing their disdain for this particular pastor. Only one lady who eventually left them was excited about it. She was happy to leave and shut down the church. But then the story changes as a twist, because God comes to this pastor and begins speaking to him, saying, I want you, instead of selling this church and selling the property, You've got people starting to come to your church, immigrants into the country, the Karen Burmese, and they have not enough food to to cover all of them. They're not covering their bills. So I want you to feed them. I want you to make the, the acreage on this church property a farm where you can grow food, and you're going to give the food away to the Karen Burmese so that they have more than enough, and the rest I want you to sell and take that money to pay off the debt of the church. Crazy idea, isn't it? And so, trying to tell his wife, I think God spoke to me. <laughs> and so, they began to do this, and it started really well. People started coming from all around. More of the immigrants came. More people started coming to the church because they believed in this vision. They began to work in the fields. But things started to get hard, as it always does when you follow what the, what the Lord tells you to do. Things began to get hard. And so all of a sudden, one by one, the people started dropping off. And they're going off because the Karen, they have to earn money as well, you know. And they tried to fill in what extra time they had to go and work in the garden. But even that began to drop off because they're being asked to stay back 12-hour days or working. So they had no time. It's darkness. They had no time for the farm. And this poor pastor who has no experience at all at farming, he's the only one just tilling that soil, doing this thing, trying to keep that vision alive. And then he, and encounters this point where there's just no rain at all, and he has to fall on his face. One challenge after another, he's crying out to the Lord, Father, you got to supply the needs. And all of a sudden, a guy comes around saying, I've got the very thing for you. I want to give it. Let me donate it to you. It's a hand pump, but it's not going to cover everything. That'll do. So he's starting to use a hand pump trying to do that until even that failed. And the next challenge, God, we've got to do this thing. The crops are dying. This isn't enough water. It's too dry. He's praying again, and the Lord begins to provide something else. Just one thing after another, and during this time, the pastor's thinking to himself, did I really hear from God? Maybe. (laughs) Some of you, if you know what I'm talking about, you've lived this life, you know what I'm talking about, you're asking yourself, did God really call me to this? maybe it was a voice of the devil. <laughs> maybe it was my voice. It wasn't actually the Lord's voice. It can't be the Lord in this because it's too tough. It's too hard. I'm struggling with this. If you know what I'm talking about, okay, just, just give a hand to the Lord. You know, just raise your hand right now. Say, I know what you're talking about, Pastor. Just preach it. Was it worth stepping out into these things? Because the story goes on in this movie, and I hope not the. uh, Sorry about the spoiler alert. I think they're about to remove it this week. But what happens is he doesn't even end up in that church in the end. Because he's not experienced enough, the bishop decides that they're going to bring another pastor in. But he gets a promotion. He's taken to another church, a very large church, a mega church, to be part of that. But meantime, he's lost the people. He's no longer in that church, and those crops. They failed. Like, they all grew. The crops grew. But then the rains came at the wrong moment, flooding out the crops and destroying them. I mean, it's this horrible thing. I'm thinking, God, where are you in this? But there was this recurring theme that came through the story that maybe it wasn't about that. Maybe it was about something else. This is about bringing a community together. Did God have his way? Did God's purposes get get accomplished? Yes, it did. Everything happened the way it did. They came together. That church is still functioning, and they're showing us these things. But I was thinking to myself, how many times has the Lord spoken to us and told us something that's stupid, <laughs> that's ludicrous? Go and plant a farm in the church property. You know, go and do something stupid. But, Lord, I don't understand. Just do it. I remember the story of a lady who was told by the Lord. I've given the story a few years back here at Live City Church and shared it with you. The Lord said to her, I want you to go, I want you to go to the supermarket. But but God, I don't need any groceries. My my fridge is full. I've just did my grocery shopping. Go and do the grocery shopping. But Lord, why am I doing this? Just go do it. And so she decides, fine, I'll go. And she goes to the shopping center and she's there. She goes, What am I supposed to do? Who do you mean to talk to? He says, I want you to do a headstand against that pole. I said, say, come again, Lord, what? I want you to do a headstand against that pole. But God, I'm going to be so embarrassed, people are going to see me doing this, and they're going to wonder if if I've gone loony. He says, go and do a headstand against that pole. Fine, Lord. (laughs) You ever done that? Fine. And so she does. And she's, she's just doing this headstand. She goes, this is so ridiculous. I can't believe, it's probably me saying, probably the devil saying this. But she did it anyway. And as she looked out, she saw a, a, a man, a young adult there. And tears are streaming down his eyes as he's watching her. And she's feeling rather stupid. So she comes down. She goes, is everything okay? She, he said, I was preparing myself one last meal. That's so why I'm shopping now. I was a Christian many, many years ago. She told him why she was there. And he said, I had lost all hope, and I was making my last meal before I took my life. I was going to hang myself today after I had my last meal. But I, I said to the Lord, if you're real, if you're really real, why don't you send one of your Christians and tell them to do a headstand against this pole? You've got to give a hand to the Lord for that one. That man went on to give his life to the Lord, but what if she said no? Imagine right now if an angel came today and took you, your life was required of you, and you had to stand in the presence of the Lord as he asks you to give an accounting for your life. What have you done with your life? You see, you have a better chance of success in life because you know Jesus and you have access to the Word of God. My Bible is on my iPad, so that's why I hold up my iPad. Pretend it's a Bible. You have access to the secrets of the universe in front of you, and you have no excuse, no excuse to say no to the Lord, no excuse for not doing anything great for the Lord when he asks you to do something. Imagine having to stand in the presence of the Lord as he's asking you, please explain. As your knees are nobbling, as you're seeing the glory of God, you're in the presence of God, you're seeing angels that are freaking you out. We've talked about this. Every time an angel appears to people, it, the Bible says he, this is what the angel has to say, fear not. Why? Because they're scared to death when they see the angel. And he's, imagine seeing all these sights, all these glories you've read about it, but you couldn't imagine how terrifying it is to be in heaven and seeing these things, standing before the Lord, and he's asking you, please explain. Please explain why you made an excuse. Please explain why you didn't go to Nineveh. The Bible tells us, I mean, I I just want you to know, I'm going to relieve you a little bit because you're thinking, oh, the pressure, Pastor, I'm about to walk out. I'm leaving this place. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Just just rest for a minute. The Bible tells us in Exodus chapter 3 how God appears to Moses. Some of you, if you're new to the faith, don't know the story. Come and hit me up about it another time or read the book of Exodus. The Bible tells us how Moses early on, had failed God. He knew he was called to be the deliverer of Israel, and he tried to do it in his own strength, ends up killing a guy to, to do the things of God. I'm going to kill someone. It's probably not the Lord. But he did it, and he had to run away, and he's now 80 years old. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 10, we are confronted with this thing where God draws his attention and says, I'm going to send you. He says, this, he says it this way, verse 10, So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And the story should have ended there. And thus Moses went. But it's not like that. I mean, he's even worse than Jonah. I mean, Jonah was, it was simple. But Jonah ran away. (laughs) You know, there's nothing else there. But listen to what happens with Moses. It doesn't end there. Moses begins to argue with God why he shouldn't have to be the one. He begins arguing with him three times. In fact, it's such a long argument, and God actually is so generous, so gracious, he actually tells him why he should be able to, you know, like gently explaining to him why he should. It's the craziest thing. I mean, for most people, God will just, I shall smote thee, boom, and you're dead. But not Moses. I mean, there's so much mercy here. He's arguing with the, the God of gods. King of kings, Lord of lords, he's arguing with him after God says, I'm sending you. Did you know, if you read this passage, his argument doesn't end in chapter 3. It goes all the way halfway through chapter 4 before it ends. And even then, at the end of it, he says, yes, Lord, send Aaron. Yes, Lord, send someone else. Yes, Lord, send my brother. And and we laugh at this thing, I know, because I can see myself all over this thing. We're so good at excuses. We give it all the time. I had to look this one up. I thought, okay, let me, let me just work it out. Oxford Dictionary defines excuse as to seek to lessen the blame. To seek, to lessen the blame. So you'll try and attach it to someone. you are try to attach it to a fault. You'll try and attach it to an offense. But you won't hang on to your, your offense. You, know, you just want to get rid of it. It's an excuse. I don't want the blame.
0: <laughs>
1: I don't know you're trying to fool. Everybody knows. At least with Jonah, yes, he didn't outrightly walk with God. But, my goodness, Moses, excuse after excuse after excuse, and we do the exact same thing. (laughs) We excuse ourselves from what we're supposed to do. We excuse ourselves from what we're supposed to be. We excuse ourselves from what we're supposed to accomplish with our life. We make up excuse after excuse after excuse. In Proverbs chapter 26, verse 13, just write the verse down. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 13, it says this The sluggard, that's someone who is just, you know the word sluggish? Basically, just lazy. The sluggard says, There's a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming the street. Proverbs 22:13 says this, just before that, same thing. The slugger says, "There's a lion outside, or I will be murdered in the streets." The new living translation says, "And he pulls the cover back over his head in bed. It isn't real. There actually isn't a lion in the street. But this sluggard has so convinced himself because he needs to make an excuse for his behavior. And so he's built up a thought pattern, that's called a stronghold, that allows him to justify himself for why he doesn't do the things that he was born to do. Some of you very quiet out there. God bless you. It must be the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's good. But if you are convicted, make some noise right now because you're saying, Lord, I hear you. I hear you, Lord. I'm here to change. I'm so glad I came to church. (laughs) If you think this message isn't for you, consider the husbands who need to be goaded by their wives to come to church. Don't look at them right now. (laughs) The wives... And the husbands blaming their partner for every failure in marriage. Don't look at the partner next to you. You keep your head down. Just look at me. Look at me. It's the safest place to look. you will know, be held to pay at the end of the day. Young adults blaming their parents for their bad decisions. It's your, no, I wouldn't be here if you, if you didn't do it. I wouldn't have gotten in trouble in class if you hadn't given me the mobile phone. I just had to look to check the message. It's your fault for giving me the phone. Employees blaming their bosses for over because they were overlooked for a promotion. I'm the better candidate. Why didn't they pick me? They just don't care. They just hate me. And you might be sitting in church or you might be watching online. You may not even be watching. Blaming God for not being real in your life. I'm just blinking. My wife tells me when I'm when I'm upset or whatever, I've start blinking. <laughs> yeah, <it's> a... <laughs> You blame God for not being real. You blame God for not answering every prayer. Did you actually pray? Did you fast and pray? Oh, God never speaks to me, Pastor. If I had a penny, that's a one cent coin in, America, in the US, if I had a penny for every time someone said that to me, and then I come back with, Have you been reading your Bible? <laughs> No, (laughs) I thought you were supposed to be speaking for God. Well, I do some of it, but God wants to speak to you directly. (laughs) You blame God for your choices. You blame God for your life, your hellish life. Never taking a responsibility for showing no effort. No effort in your marriage. No effort in your job. You wonder why you were bypassed? You were not the best candidate you would even considered. Because you didn't worship God through your job. Did you know you can worship God through your job? The Bible says when you work, don't work unto men, you work unto God. So it means that I've come to church when I go to work. And I have to worship the Lord by looking after my boss, by looking after my customers. Even when you don't feel like it, that's worship. We make excuses for why we can't read the Bible. Pastor, if you knew how busy I was, how many hours did you spend on Netflix? How many hours did you spend oh, on the Xbox? Let, let, you know, let's keep going. You know, We make excuses why we can't pray, why we can't join a prayer group, why we can't serve at church, why we don't serve our community, why we can't serve our family. Excuse after excuse after excuse. Some people are so good at excuses and so good at throwing blame. They're like evil Santa at Christmas. <laughs> you know, hey, this is all your fault. You did this. Hey, this one's for you. You did that one there. Hey, hey, I know you. This is for you too. I'll give you a double lot here, double presents. <laughs> ho, ho, ho. <laughs> Have you ever lived with a person who makes excuses? Don't look at your partner. Just look at me. Keep it safe. Keep the marriage intact. Eventually, those excuses will be aimed at you. Don't you know that? They eventually run out of people to blame, and so they're going to blame you. You did this to me. It's all your fault. Write this one down here on the collar of the person in front of you. Blame is a way of deflecting problems away from yourself. It's your problem You brought yourself into it, your decision, your choice, but you try and deflect it to somebody else. That's what blame is. That's what excuse is. To be able to have an excuse, you have to blame something or someone, some circumstance outside of yourself. This is what the sluggard says. There's a line in the road, a fierce line roaming the streets. What line are you talking about? No, no, there's a line outside, or I'll be murdered in the streets. I better stay in bed. You see, these are fictitious excuses to justify a behavior. We think to ourselves, I can't do that because, fill in the blank, I don't have enough money, I don't have enough friends, I don't have enough influence. I am nobody. I'm not smart enough. I didn't study that subject. I don't know how to do this. I didn't watch the program. I was late for the lesson. I can't do this. Often we're not even aware that we're making excuses. Worse, your family, your church, blink, 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 and perhaps even your workmates, have gotten so used to your excuses, they don't even bother asking you anymore. And you wonder why they're getting the promotions? Because they didn't say no. Because they took responsibility. Because they got up one more time, learned from their mistakes, did better the next time, and the boss observed that. Meanwhile, you're like, not my fault, I didn't do it. Okay, you didn't do it, you won't be doing any more than that either. Dr. Ben Carson shares this poem introduced to him by his mother. This is a single mom on her own trying to make ends meet. She raised up two boys in poverty, and his brother also became very. Uh, they became wealthy men. They really, really worked hard and blessed their mother. But Dr. Carson ended up becoming a, a, a leader in neurosurgery, and the head of pediatric neurosurgery Johns Hopkins. Later on, he was a candidate for president of the United States. You might know a bit about him, but he came from poverty. His mother used to share this poem with him because she wanted to shut down that voice. that says, it's their fault. You did this. It's a circumstance. I can't help it. She said, read this. It's by Mamie White Miller. This is a task we had in our school. Yourself to blame is what it's called. You ready for it? Receive this one. If things go bad for you and make you a bit ashamed, often you will find out that you have yourself to blame. Swiftly we ran to mischief, and then the bad luck came. Why do we fault others? We have ourselves to blame. What ha- whatever happens to us Here is what we say. Had it not been for so-and-so, things would have gone that way. You've heard this voice before, haven't you? And if you were short of friends, I'll tell you what to do. Make an examination. You'll find the faults in you. You are the captain of your ship, so agree with the same If you travel downward, you have yourself to blame. (laughs) we become so skillful at excuses. Never understanding that the idea of an excuse, again, is about having to imagine something else outside of you so you don't take responsibility. It's a tool that the enemy uses against you so powerfully Because we have not yet recognized in our daily life Monday, except Sunday morning, we recognize there's a God, but and there's a devil and all that, but Monday through Sunday, Monday through Saturday, and then Sunday afternoon after church, we forget (laughs) that there's a spiritual realm. And that there's an enemy out to get you. The the Hebrew the Hebrew word for his name is Satan, which means adversary. We forget we have an adversary working against us, constantly trying to influence your mind because he understands the battle is waged in the mind. Some of you have afflictions. You have problems in your body or something else going on. That's a problem. But the real battle is in the mind. Every day, there's a battle in the mind, and that mind, if used properly, can do great things, It can build things unimaginable. It could do things that never existed. All of a sudden, we've just come to accept it as normal, everyday life. Or it can do terrible harm. Or it can do, even worse, absolutely nothing. I think the greatest tragedy that could ever befall a Christian with such greatness that you've been born into, with a a word of the universe that could change everything about your circumstances, to ignore it, to not even talk to him, and then to have the gall to blame someone else for your bad circumstances. The devil understands this. He is working against them. He's working against you. How does he work? You see, the devil can't do anything to you unless he has permission from the Lord. But he's constantly nimbling away, in you know, whispering in your ear. And this is what he does. He's a key key weapons. He will try and frustrate you. He will try to tempt you to make bad decisions. He will try to discourage you. What's the point? Just give up. It's over. Come on, look at it. Just don't worry about it. Let someone else do it. Or he will cause you to cast doubt on yourself or to cast doubt on God or on his word any which way so that you are trapped in a stronghold of your own mind. Think about this for a moment. That chair you're sitting on, this school that we're in, this building up before, uh, uh, on top of us here that's keeping us covered, it all began with simply an idea in someone's mind. And then because of diligence and determination, despite the frustration, we talked about this pastor at the beginning of, the, of, the, of this message, who was given a word from the Lord, I want you to plant a farm on the acreage of the property of the church, and obstacle after obstacle after obstacle after obstacle, it just never seems to end, one after the other after the other. But when you have a determination, you will see it all the way through until other people can see a vision. What we see, what we're experiencing right now, even in this place, in this service, was a vision. It started with an idea. Our church was started by an idea. The Lord planted it in my heart. We tried to say no. <laughs> and we weren't going to plant here. We were to plant in the Gold Coast. The Lord says, no, you're going to plant in Red Bank Plains. And the Lord says, Ezekiel 37, you're going to speak life to people who are dying, and dying inside spiritually, people who are sick. You're going to speak life into them. Their lives are going to be transformed in the city. And before that ever happened, we had an idea. It was a vision the Lord gave us. And all of a sudden, people started coming. And the next vision is going to be even greater. We have it right now. We're at the cusp of it it's about to happen. We're about to move into a new building. You're going to see it. You're going to sit in brand new chairs that many of you donated to and gave. By the way, it's not too late to donate. Okay? Do it. Pray for seats. Pay for souls. Okay? One seat equals one soul. And we're going to see this place, and it's going to change the way you look at church, Live City Church. Oh, my goodness. I knew it was great. I knew we were going somewhere. But we meet in this place. If you can't see us on, uh, on Live Street, we're actually in an open building. There's no walls here. And I hope that we will always remember that. There's no walls in this church. We're going to move to a building, but there won't be walls because we're outside. The church is outside that. In Proverbs 23, verse 7, it says this. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. There's a few other versions that does that. In the NIV, it doesn't even have this kind of idea. It's just really sad. For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Much like the vision of something that you can see before it's even taken place, it will affect that person's actions. They will work hard towards that goal. But in the same way, if you see yourself as useless, if you see yourself as never amounting to anything, if you see yourself, this is as good a Christian as I'm ever going to be, there's nothing more beyond this, that's what you're going to be. Who put that limit on you? You see, when you put your limitations in your mind, in your head, you're actually putting yourself in a box. In fact, most of you put God in a box. You pull him out when you want him, then you put him back in the box, and you yourself step, step in a box. Do you know what they call a box that they put humans in? It's a coffin. That's what it's called. It's for dead people. The moment you begin to put yourself in a box, you say, I can't do that. I'll never amount to anything. This is impossible. I don't have enough finances. I don't have this. I don't have that. The moment you begin to make excuses, you put yourself in your coffin. You're dead before you're even in the grave, before you're even alive. Amen. Your imagination can hold you back. Your imagination can defeat you or your imagination could be the very catalyst that will transform your life until you can hardly recognize yourself. You got a tough marriage? God can change it. You can change it. God can, but you have to want it. You have to want to change it. You got a job that sucks (laughs) and you hate it? You can change that too. You hate your career? you can change that too. Having problems at work, you can change that too. You can barely roll two pennies together and you keep finances in your pocket. You can change that too. The key to unlocking that change is in your hands. But what do the people of God do? We become just like the rest of the world. We stop trusting the Lord. We stop believing that we could be more than this. The Bible says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard the things that God has prepared for them who love the Lord. I can think of a lot of things. I can see a lot of things. But the Lord is saying, I got more for you. The moment you stop dreaming is the moment you're in the grave. But pastor, I can't do that. Why not? Jonah's excuse was that he hated the Ninevites and he wanted God to destroy them. That's why he refused to do it. Moses' excuse was that he was too old. But the real story was he was afraid because everyone knew about his colossal failure to set the Israelites free 40 years earlier. And everyone says, oh, (laughs) here's the has-been. Try it again, are we, Moses? Let's see how this one works out. What's your excuse? Why aren't you going on for God? You know you should be reading the Bible, but what's your excuse for not doing it? When you stand before the Lord and he has a, please explain, what will your answer be? If you're feeling anxious and full of despair, you can change that. If you're feeling isolated, hopeless, and thinking of giving up, You can change that. If you feel that your marriage is toxic, you can change that. If you feel like you are caught in a cycle of sin and addiction, you can change that. There is hope for the sinner. There is hope for the wayward. There is hope for the hopeless. But what's keeping you locked in your addiction? What's keeping you trapped in your despair? What's keeping you from growing in God? Why don't we stand to our feet as I bring this to a close, and I want to invite Katie and the team to come up. I want to tell you something. The thing that is so amazing about the Lord is that he is a God of second chances. What happened with the story is this. Even though Jonah decided, I'm going to do the exact opposite, God says, I want you to go there to Nineveh, he says, no, I'm going to go there to Joppa, I'm going to go the opposite direction, God ends up having to send a fish to swallow Jonah and take him back to Nineveh. Why? To give him a second chance. According to most scholars, they say that Jonah actually died in the belly of of that great fish he wasn't alive. The Bible says he called out from Sheol, hell. <laughs> he went to hell because he disobeyed God. And he's crying up for three days and three nights from Sheol until the Lord answered him and says, I'm going to give you a second chance. And the fish spits him out onto the land where he was supposed to go in the first place. Moses argued and argued and argued. In verse 11 of chapter 3, he says, I'm a nobody. In chapter 4, verse 1, he says, what if they don't believe me? And in verse 10, he says, I don't speak well. Eventually, verse 13 sends someone else. And yet God still used him. Can I invite you right now to bow your heads and close your eyes? I want to give you a moment, an opportunity for you to do something with this word. Stop making excuses. Stop blaming somebody else for your own failure. Stop blaming God because you haven't grown in God. The Lord's saying, I love you. He's saying, I have a plan and a purpose for your life. God's saying, what you see now, I've got better things in store for you, and it's so good. Can you imagine with me? Can you break the strongholds of your current imagination and begin to think outside the box? Oh, Lord. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 to 5, for the weapons of our warfare, are not carnal. That means it's nothing you can see, taste, touch, smell, or hear. It's not that at all. But it is mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments. Whose arguments? Your arguments. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity, to the obedience of Christ, if you're wondering what every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, it's everything that you speak about yourself when you say, I'm no good, I'm useless, I'll amount to nothing. The Bible tells us that God says, you are a child of God. The Bible says, you've been made more than overcomers. The Bible says that God has a plan and a purpose for your life that's greater and bigger than you can imagine. Oh my. Oh my. So, when you say I'm useless or hopeless, it is a high thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And there's a weapon that God uses it's this very word of God. It's not over yet. (laughs) While you live and breathe, I want to tell you it's not over yet. God has dreams for you. You might have wiped yourself off the chart. You think, I'm not even there in the competition. God says, no, no, no. You are greater than you can imagine. If you could see the score like I can, moves and moves ahead, you will see you have already won. Because I've made you the victor. I've made you the overcomer. You are greater than this, the Lord says. This morning, I want to pray for you. If you're saying, Yes, Pastor, that was me, can you just wave your hand? You're saying, That's me. You're going to be praying for me. Okay. Just put it up and put it down so I know who I'm praying for. Okay. 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 Yes. Lots of hands going up. So many hands. God bless you. You can put them down now. Let me pray for you this morning, but I want you to step in faith with me. I want you to say and declare to yourself, Enough. Tell yourself that. Enough. No more excuses. There are no more lions, only lyings. (laughs) I choose Jesus. Say that to yourself. I choose Jesus. Father, this morning, in the name of Jesus, we come to you. And Father, I speak to every son and every daughter, Lord, over their life. I speak over them now. Father, set them free from every imagination that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, you break strongholds that keep them bound. These are your children. They are bound like slaves, like dogs, like animals. That is not your plan for them. In the name of Jesus, I loose them. Your word says, whatever we bind and whatever we loose on earth is loosed in heaven. Father, I loose them in the name of Jesus. They are loose. They are free. Father, I pray you make the enemy pay. As your sons and daughters begin to arise, as they lift up their heads once again and declare the victor is the Lord, and you have made them victors, you have made them overcomers. This morning, Father, I bless them. This morning, Father, I pray, set them back into their destiny, and let them achieve every dream that you have for them, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's give a big hand to the Lord this morning.
0: God is so good. Thank you for joining Life City Church and we hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. If this ministry has made an impact on your life, we'd love to hear from you. Please drop us a line and share your story at thanks at livecitychurch.com or email us your prayer needs at prayer at livecitychurch.com We'd love to connect with you and hear more about your story. If you love the ministry of Life City Church, you can make a financial gift to help us spread the good news of Jesus by going to livecitychurch.com and clicking the giving tab. We hope today's message has spoken into your life and look forward to your next visit.